I'll believe it when I see it. All right. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of James again. James chapter 1. I had a VA appointment on Friday. Uh, Just a follow-up. And uh, the doctor had good news for me. He said, I was going to live until I die. No more jokes, right, Doug? All right, in James chapter 1, uh, this morning we're just going to read verse 19 through 21. 19 through 21. James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. There's some big words in there. We're going to look this morning to see what they mean. Right now, let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for a brand new day. This is the day that you've made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. And we pray now that you'll help us as we try to uh, share what we've learned from your word. May it make a difference in all of our lives. Thank you for these who've come today. Thank you for the sunshine, Lord, and uh, for the warmth. And we just praise you for that and allowing us to be able to get up this morning and to be here to meet with your people. We ask you your blessings on this time together. Bless the other teachers. Pray you'll give Pastor strength. He'll be able to preach this morning and uh, healing. Uh, Lord, there's others who need your touch also. We thank you that you are a wonderful Savior and that you love us and that you will give us strength for each day and give us grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in our previous study last week, we looked at verses 17 through eight and 18, uh, where James reminded us that every good gift comes from above, from God. And uh, what he gives and how he gives are both good and, of course, perfect. He's a very generous God, and He never, never stops giving. Aren't you glad about that? Um, he's, not, he, he's not the source of anything evil, uh, as some might say, and all uh, that is good originates with Him. So James called Him the Father of lights, because He's the creator of, heavenly, of, of, of all the heavenly lights, the sun, the, the moon, the stars, and He's also the source of spiritual light. He also said that God never changes and that uh, we can depend on Him because He's always the same. And as Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then James reminds us about God's greatest gift and that is the gift of salvation. We did not earn it. We didn't earn this gift, nor did He save us to make us happy. Although... We should be happy, right? But He didn't save us just in order for us to be happy or because we uh, of our need of salvation or because we deserve to be saved. He chose to save us because of His own sovereign will and because He loved us. And then He speaks about the new birth. Uh, the new birth is a divine, gracious gift given through the word of truth, He tells us. And uh, verse... Uh, Uh, Verse 18, 
of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And uh, we learn that God's Holy Spirit uses the word of God uh, to bring about the miracle of the new birth. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In verse 18, James told us about the experience of the new birth and uh, that we are part of the harvest. Notice he speaks about the harvest in um, uh, verse 18 there at the end, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he speaks about the uh, harvest of souls and uh, a visible, that we are a visible symbol of a great harvest that's to come. Now then, See if we get, yes, it does work. All right. Now, in verses 19 through 21, he is going to tell us about the evidence of the new birth. Prior, previously, he spoke to us about the experience of the new birth, and now he's going to tell us about the evidence of a new birth and how a transformed life should express itself. You know, when you get saved, things are different. Then things should be different. And uh, so we're, he's, he's speaking now about the transformed life. And uh, the word transformed means to make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. And, you know, in, in, in um, 2 Corinthians, let's, let's look at that. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if you'd like to turn there and uh, underline that verse. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul is the author here, and he says, Therefore, if any man or woman or young person be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature or a new creation. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Is that true of you? Is that true in your life? Have all things passed away, and have all things... New as he speaks about here. And you know what? If you have been born again, then, then your life has been transformed. It's been changed. That's what the word means. It's changed. And you're no longer the same person you were before. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm not who I used to be. And uh, you know, uh, I, I've said this many, many times throughout my Christian life, but I've never been sorry that I became a Christian. Uh, I've been a sorry Christian sometimes. <laughs> But I've never been sorry that I became a Christian. All right? So, um, matter of fact, another verse to look at. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Again, Paul is the author here, writing to the Romans. And uh, listen, listen to what he says in verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then in verse 2 he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye... And what's the next word? I don't, uh, uh, does your, does your uh, version say transformed? Be ye transformed 
changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so you notice that word transformed there. Uh, The Greek word that Paul uses here for that word is metamorpho. Metamorpho. And from that word, we get our word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Okay? And here we see uh, a picture here of a caterpillar that metamorphoses into a butterfly. And here's something for the young people here. You can see how that works. There's the eggs, the caterpillar, the uh, the pupa, and then finally the adult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh. It looks good on there. It looks good? <laughs> That's the transformation right there. What's our problem here? Does it get a blue light on there? Yes, it does. Um, do an unplug and plug it back in. It probably needs to do a handshake. Is that one plugged in back there? Oh, it went on for a second. Yeah. Did it? Starting to, uh, like, like, there it goes. Are we on? Uh, you're hitting it on and off, so you got to wait after you touch it. Okay. Mike, get up there. Huh? <laughs> Tell Mike to move. Here's pretty new handshake. Yeah, when it fell down. Wait a second. It, when it fell down, it bent back. Give it a second. Can that one be moved? Did it come? All right, take some more. Well, now it's coming. Let's just wait. It's really slow. Huh? I'm wondering if we damaged something when it fell. Well, when it fell down, it bent that. It bent. Oh, I see. Yeah, your HDMI port is a little damaged. So sensitive. It's, it's coming. Is it trying? Yeah, just just give it a second after I remove it. I'll sit here. You keep talking. Hmm. Technology is wonderful when it works. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anyway, you got the idea. Uh, about metamorphosis. Okay, that's the word that uh, that Paul uses here, which means uh, a total change from uh, the inside out. Okay, let me see if we can get it back up here. Thank you, Brother Mike. Yes. Okay, what do we have up there? That's. Okay. All right, is that on? Is that on here or back there? That's that's from the cable. That's built in. And now it's set to go away. All right, we'll, we'll we'll press on. All right. So metamorphosis means to change from the inside out, and uh, that's what we see here. This picture of the caterpillar when it changes changes into a butterfly. Okay. So what are the evidences of a transformed life? Um, hi, Jen. Jen. Good to see you. Praying for you this morning. First of all, by our reaction to God's word, and we can see that on your lesson sheet here. Is anybody who didn't receive one? Anybody who did not receive a lesson sheet?
secretary. Sweetheart, you want to come up here and get some of these for you? Our reaction to God's word, and we see that in verse 19. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Verse 19 says, uh, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. A transformed life is evidenced by our reaction, first of all, to God's Word. How do we react to God's Word? Well, once again, James uh, identifies his audience because he, he, he begins here by saying, My beloved brothers, my beloved brethren here. And he is writing to fellow Christians. Okay, And so he begins this verse uh, by saying, Wherefore, which means so then or in order to know. Uh, so then, uh, so that we can know this, all right. And what he's doing here, um, he, he before in verse seventeen through eighteen, he wants us to know that uh, that there should be some evidence in the Christian's life in how to react to it, how to react to God's word. And notice he doesn't say here, uh, let some man, but he says every man in verse nineteen. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man. Did you know that uh, most people, uh, I think I've got ahead of myself here. First of all, he says, be ready to listen in verse 19. Um, He says, be swift or be quick to hear. So with that in mind, did you know that most people, especially men, men are not good listeners? Uh See all the ladies agreeing, huh? Uh, You you know, we, we, we have selective hearing, don't we? Just ask your wife. Or mine. No, on second top, don't do that. Okay. Don't ask my wife about this. And uh, it reminds me, Melody's stepfather, Charles, um, gone to be with the Lord now. He was 90, 96 when he went to be with the Lord. He was a circuit riding preacher in England. He used to get on his bicycle and he would ride to the little villages and, and he would preach there. But anyway, later in life, uh, as he got, uh, uh, became more mature, he had to wear hearing aids. And um, so sometimes he would be sitting there on the couch and, and Melody's mother would, would say something to him and he wouldn't respond. And uh, she would call him out and she said, Charles, are, are you listening? And he wouldn't say anything. Nothing happened. And finally she would become frustrated and she'd say, Charles, are you listening to me? And, and he'd reach up and he would turn on his hearing aids. <laughs> Because, Brenda, he had two hearing aids and he would turn them off when she was speaking. He had selective hearing. He didn't want to hear her all the time. Okay, So, James says we need to be ready to, um, ready to, to, to listen. And you know what? Although we can apply this warning to other areas, in context, James is saying that when you're listening to God's Word, be ready. Okay? Or be quick. Give careful attention to hear what God has to say. And you know, so often we, uh, we hear what we want to hear. Uh, we listen with maybe preconceived ideas. Uh, our minds are already made up. And uh, our attitude is, is, don't confuse me with the facts. Let me just shut that down there. All right. Don't confuse me with the facts. Uh, on many occasions... 
Jesus told his, his listeners, like in Matthew 13, 9, for instance, he said, He who hath ears, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. And uh, that's in Matthew 13, verse 9. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, he said, To consider how we listen. And there he says, Take heed. Take heed how ye hear. So we, we need to be uh, aware of that. Uh, you know, I read that the average Christian probably hears, well, let me ask you, how many messages do you think the average Christian hears during the course of a year? Let's see, do your math here. All right. If they're not there every Sunday, or if they're there every Sunday? Well, let's, say, let's say that they were there every Sunday. Well, it's 52 in the morning. Sometimes right. there's evenings. All right. Sometimes there's Wednesday. Sometimes there's special events. All right. But I'm going to just say 52 because I'm betting people will do less. Okay, all right. So this is talking about the average Christian, all right? This, the average Christian probably hears somewhere between 50 and 100 hours of preaching per year. That's a lot. Think of that, right? Uh, but how does he hear? How do we hear? You know, most of us are not good listeners. And uh, we, we can't be good listeners when we're not listening because maybe we are distracted. Many times we're distracted by things that are going on around us. Uh, we're not good listeners when we're preoccupied with, uh, for instance, what we're going to do after the service this morning. Maybe some of you are already thinking towards that. What are your plans for this afternoon? We're not good listeners when we're reading our emails ooh, or texting on our phones. You see, folks, God wants to speak to us, but we're not listening. And when we come to church, do we come with the same spirit towards the preacher that Cornelius had when, uh, when he told Peter in Acts 10, verse 33, Cornelius said this, Now therefore... Are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? Cornelius said, hey, we're all ears. We've gathered together to hear what God has to say. And I believe that we should always be ready to hear what God's word has to say to us. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1 says, Keep thy foot, which means walk prudently. When thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. So the first thing is to be ready to listen. That's what James says. He said, be, uh, uh, in verse uh, 19, let every man be swift to hear. All right? Be ready to listen. When you come to the services, be ready to listen. Put everything else out. Uh, leave, leave all your... Leave everything else outside the doors and come ready to hear. And, uh, and then the second thing is this, refrain from speaking. Refrain from speaking in verse, again, 19. Let every man be swift to hear, but slow to speak. So another evidence of a transformed life is to refrain from speaking. James says, be slow to speak or speak little. And to refrain, of course, of course, means to abstain from an impulse to say or do something. 
You know, we can't be good listeners when we are always talking. Right? It's been said, the quieter you become, the more you are able to hear. Think of that. The quieter you become, the more you are able to hear. Have you ever noticed uh, sometimes when you're speaking to someone, they just can't wait until they can reply? You ever had a conversation like that? You're speaking to someone, you're sharing something, and boy, they're just, they're just, they can't wait until, you, until you're through so they can interject what they're going to say. Sometimes they don't even have the courtesy to let you finish what you're saying. Proverbs, listen to Proverbs 18 and verse 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly. That means a lack of good sense. It's foolishness and a shame unto him. And you know, perhaps we are all guilty of that. We want to be heard rather than to listen. So often God is trying to tell us something from His Word. Either when uh, we're reading it or maybe through the teaching and the preaching of it. But we're not listening. You know why? Because we think we know it all already. We want to argue. And we want to say, well, you know, this is what I think. That's your interpretation. I, I don't think that's what God means. You know what we want to do? We, we want to edit what God has to say. And may I remind you that God doesn't need editors or our opinions. He just wants good listeners. James is saying here, speak little and listen a lot. And the Bible, you know, the Bible has to... The Bible has a lot to say about refraining from speaking. Did you know that? What's it doing there? It, it just turned off. It just didn't turn off. Okay. All righty. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about, uh, about refraining. Listen, listen to these verses. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven... And thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs 15 verse 2 the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Proverbs 17:27, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and the man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. And there are many, many, many more. Just read the book of Proverbs and, and, and just highlight, underline, every time you, you read something that speaks about our lips or about our mouth. Someone has said this, God gave us two ears and one tongue, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. Did you get it? Huh? God gave us two ears and one tongue, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. An old ancient saying said this, the ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in, and to keep it within proper bounds. 
lot of wisdom there. And you know what? You, did you know that you can tell a lot about a person by listening to them? I believe it was Socrates who once said to one of his students, Open thy mouth that I may see thee. Hmm. By observing someone, watching them, watching their life, watching how they speak, you can tell a lot about a person. Abraham Lincoln once said this, Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. (laughs) You know, I heard this poem many years ago, memorized it, and I may have shared it already, but it, it basically says this, I did it again today. I guess I'm in a rut. I missed another opportunity to keep my big mouth shut. So, Here's the next thing. Restrain from anger. James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Uh, We should be ready to hear and slow to speak. We should refrain from speaking. And, And then thirdly, he says, and slow to wrath. In other words, restrain from anger. Restrain from anger. Verses 19 through 20, we see this here. James says... Be slow to become angry. Restrain from becoming angry with God's Word. Let's keep this in context, all right? He's speaking about God's Word here. And he he says, uh, restrain from becoming angry with God's Word. Um, And this is also an evidence of a transformed life. And restrain means to hold back from action, uh, to keep under control. The word wrath comes from the Greek word that describes a deep internal resentment and rejection to God's word. So James tells us not to become angry with God or His word. You know why? Because it reveals our sin. And you know, I can. Uh, there have been times in my ministry and pastor, some of the, where I've been pastoring and, and serving, and, and I'm sure that uh, Pastor Mark could say the same thing and others. Um, Uh, Sometimes when we're preaching, you know, if you could be up here looking out there and see the reaction of people when God's Word is preached, you would, it would shock you sometimes. And I've had that happen. I mean, I've had people when I was preaching or teaching sit back there like this. Bless God. Bless me if you can. Bless me if you can. Preacher, I don't agree with what you're saying. And you can just see it on their expression. You can see that they're angry. They don't like what you're saying. Hmm. So rather, James says they should be quick to hear God's Word. Be ready to hear. And to trust it. And uh, so, what, what does God's Word say about anger? Well, here's a couple of verses. All right, Proverbs 14.29. If you've never read Proverbs, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And I encourage you to read it. All right? Um, Proverbs 14.29 says, He that is slow to anger is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. So, in verse 20, we get down to verse 20, James speaks about the wrath of man. All right, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Um, 
Why should we be slow to wrath, to become angry? Well, we are to govern and restrain our temper. We're not to give into anger because it fails to produce the righteous life that will please God. Uh, nor does it embrace the truth in love. Rather, it disobeys God's, God's word. Notice, notice the little phrase he uses there, worketh not righteousness. Yeah, so what, what, what is the righteousness of God? Someone said, this refers to a life that is in agreement with God. A life that is consistent with His ways. A life lived within the context of God's will and God's purpose. So, a transformed life, first of all, is evidenced by our reaction to God's Word. But then secondly, by our reception of God's Word. Verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. So, our reception of God's Word, first of all, by removal of sin. You see, a transformed life, folks, a life that has been changed, is evidenced by the removal of sin. Remember, James is not writing to lost people here, but, but he's writing to Christian brethren, he says. And, and, and you know what, sometimes, sometimes, and I think we're all guilty of this, that we don't realize the sinfulness of sin. The sinfulness of sin. And sometimes we don't realize, uh, you know, what we tend to think that only wicked, um, ungodly people commit sin. That's not true, is it, Doug? No. We're capable of sinning still. The truth is that we are still sinners, saved by grace, and we are capable of sinning. And, and you know what? If, if being saved removes the ability to sin, then James would not have written these words. He wouldn't have mentioned these things. Notice in verse 21, he says, lay apart. In other words, lay aside, uh, remove, put off. And what James is doing here, he's giving us a picture. Um, You know, James, he he uses all kinds of things uh, as illustrations here. He, He gives us a picture of taking off some dirty clothes. Okay? In other words, get rid of everything that is harmful, and contrary to God's righteousness, such as, and he says, all filthiness. And the Greek word for filthiness was used, this may gross you out a lot. The Greek word for filthiness was used in the medical sense to mean wax in the ear. Ah, because wax in your ears does what? it can hinder the ability for you to hear. You ever had that problem? You ever had to have your ears flushed out? Excuse me. You couldn't hear? You know what? So it is with sins in our lives. We need to avoid anything that deafens us from hearing God's Word. And this is what James is saying here. Filthiness refers to moral dirtiness, uh, to any impurity and unholy affections, such as James mentioned in verse 15. He says, Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth death, sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So he says that we are to lay aside all that is evil, all that's disgusting, all that is offensive, such as, and now here's, here's the term. I'd like to know what your, your version says. 
Superfluity of naughtiness. How many of you have ever used that word? Superfluity. What does yours say, Doug? Well, I'm on your version. Yeah, okay. Someone else. What verse? Huh? What verse? What verse? Uh, verse um, 21. Of James. Uh-huh. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. Rampant. Huh? Rampant. Rampant. That's what that word means. Superfluity of naughtiness. It's, it means an abundance. An overflowing of wickedness and evil. You see the, the depravity here of man? How wicked man? James, and James says, look... There's this abundance, this superfluity, this abundance, overflowing of wickedness. And we are to take it off. We're to get rid of sin in our lives that overflows and spills uh, over and touches others around us. The Apostle Paul said this in in Colossians 3 and verse 8. Basically the same thing, a superfluity of naughtiness. He says, but now ye also put off, take off these Things. What things, Paul? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Paul says, take these off. Get rid of these things. And this is what James is saying here, alright? So, first of all, by the removal of sin, and then secondly, by receiving God's Word. In verse 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness, and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive, how? With meekness, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Finally, a, a transformed life is, is evidenced by our reception of God's word. And, and how are we to receive it? Well, the word receive means to accept with open arms. Receive God's word. As God's word is taught and preached, receive it as, as with open arms. Also, we're to accept God's Word with meekness. Not a haughty attitude. Not an attitude of, well, I, you know, I already know everything. James says that the Word of God should be received with humility. And of course, this means having a teachable spirit. As opposed to the arrogant spirit, which we see from the angry man that he mentions in verse 20. You know, it's one thing to hear God's Word, but it's another to humbly receive it into our hearts with the spirit of submission and uh, love for the Lord Jesus Christ and allowing it to take root uh, and, and to bear fruit. Meekness is to have a teachable spirit. The meek person is willing to accept the truth about himself even if the truth hurts. So often we want to hear what we want to hear. A meek person is a gentle person and under perfect control. One author said this, quote, Meekness is the opposite of wrath. Now, when you receive the word of God with meekness, you accept it. Do not argue with it and honor it as the word of God. You do not try to twist it to conform it to your thinking. So, we're to receive, he says, the engrafted word. Literally, the, the implanted Word. And this refers to the word of truth, the gospel seed that's planted in us by which we have been birthed into God's family. Verse 18. So the implanted word is is on the inside. You know, when we were lost, it was reversed. 
Wickedness was on the inside. But God's Word was on the outside. It wasn't part of us, nor did we understand it. Before, it wasn't possible to take off the wickedness of sin which was inside. But now, it is possible because of the new birth and the Word which has been implanted into us. Now, as we wrap this up, in his first letter to the Christians in Thessalonica, um, matter of fact, let's turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to see here uh, in verses 13 and 14 that the Apostle Paul was thankful uh, because of the evidence of their salvation, these Christians at Thessalonica. When they received God's Word, things changed. They were transformed. Chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because, here it is, when ye received the Word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ. <coughs> Pardon me, Jesus. And uh, for ye also have suffered like things of your own country, men, even as they have of the Jews. So Paul was thankful here. And he's given thanksgiving because these Christians at Thessalonica, they received the message. They received the gospel as God's word. It wasn't the word of men, but it was God's word. Okay? So James concludes, uh, getting back to James here, James concludes verse 21 by saying that God's word is so powerful that it's able to save our souls. You know, it is also able to bring forth fruits of righteousness in our lives and to keep us from temptation. Another writer said this, quote, When God's Word is planted in our hearts, it produces holiness of life, godliness of character, and the righteousness of God. Listen to the words of, these, of this little chorus. Things are different now. How many of you know that? Anybody know that? Oh, if you, all right. Things are different now. Something happened to me since I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. I was changed. It must be since I gave my heart or my life to Him. Things I loved before have passed away. And things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened that day when I gave my heart to Him. You know, in closing, I want to ask you a question. Has your life changed? Has your life changed? Are things different now? Or do you still love the things that you loved before? Paul spoke about that in 1 Corinthians, didn't he? We've become a new creation. When you get saved, things change. The things you loved before passed away. And you love new things. You love God's Word. You love God's people. You can't change your life through Reformation. Many people try to do that. They try to change their lives. They try to be better. Try to treat people nicer. Pay their taxes. 
treat their spouses right. That's reformation. It can only be changed through the transforming power of the new birth. You must be born again by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know what? When you do that, you become His child. You transform. You're no longer the child of Satan, but you become God's children. John 1 verse 12, But as many as received Him, who? Jesus. To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. It's not through joining the church. It's not through being baptized. Not through making a profession of faith. But it's receiving the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. A faith that works is evidenced by a transformed life. And if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you don't have a changed life. Just as simple as that. So why not trust the Lord Jesus today? Ask Him to save you. Let Him transform your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together. Thank You for the Word. And Lord, we thank You that... uh, I thank You personally for that day... March 19th, 1972, when, Lord, you changed my life. You came into my life, became my Lord and Savior as I repented of my sin of unbelief. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who does not have a personal relationship with you, may today be the day uh, that they will place their faith and trust in you and be saved. Father, we thank you. Pray that you bless the next hour, bless the pastor as he brings the message. Give him strength, Lord, that he needs. We'll thank you for it. And all God's people said, Amen. Sorry about the...